0: And welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses here in late February. I'm Ryan baffel joined by Lucas Rohde from Nashville, Tennessee. We are in the quote-unquote off-season of college football, but never an off-season in college football. We've got spring footballs coming up and plenty of storylines to get into. Lucas, my friend, how are you?
1: I'm doing very, very well. Like you said, no off-season. We're just in the non-playing season. Right. Right now, so... Um, doing very well. It was a beautiful day here in Nashville. It was almost sixty degrees out, sunny. Um, starting to feel like very much like spring out here. So I'm very much looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, it was a little chilly here in Arizona. It was uh like sixty-four is the high. Um, uh
1: little, poor little, poor, little poor people chilly. out there. A little chilly. <laughs> sunny in the
0: highest sunny and a high sixty four this weekend out here in Arizona. <laughs> All right, well, uh, so tonight we're, we're going to cover a couple things here. Sure, we're going to start with the discussion about the Arizona State football program. Um, some new comments coming from the higher-ups within that program this week. Lucas and I will kind of give our thoughts. Um, I'm an ASU alum, big fan. Lucas is a quarter alum or half alum or however it breaks down credit-wise. And then uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the, uh, the failed college football expansion. Uh, again, they got our hopes up over the summer. And only to crush them with the uh, the um, the report this week that the college football playoff will be staying at four teams through 2025 at least, and then we'll wrap up with a uh, discussion on college football's attendance issue as uh, 2021 attendance numbers released, and I think that's kind of a good little discussion for us here as we kind of close out the month of February and uh, potentially get into spring football here pretty soon. So let's start with ASU. Um, for those that haven't kind of been following the situation um, over last summer sanctions allegations came out against the Arizona state football program for allegedly recruiting, hosting players during a dead period, the NCAA limited or eliminated uh, visits in person on campus, anywhere during COVID basically from March, 2020 until June of 2021 in the uh, in the summer of 2021, a dossier was released to the NCAA, released publicly, basically saying ASU violated these rules. Uh, they hosted recruits on campus. They, there's a lot more information that's come out recently, which we'll get to. That's not good for ASU. But, you know, needless to say, we talked about it last show. The recruiting class was really poor this year. There's no momentum. Antonio Pierce, the DC, Zach Hill, the OC, both gone. But the reason why we're going to address it now is because Ray Anderson and Michael Crow uh, went on the local radio affiliate for ASU um, both this week on separate days and had some interesting quotes. So here's Michael Crow, ASU president, um, on the investigation on Herm Edwards. So, quote, in all of these things where you have people who decide not to play by the rules, those people are gone, Crow said when asked why Edwards is still leading the ASU football team. Now we're looking at what went wrong and why it happened, and we're still in the thick of that. Coach Edwards has done an outstanding job of upgrading our overall program. We got this group of people who decided not to play by the rules relative to recruiting. So we'll be looking on how we can make improvements, so forth and so on. But Coach Edwards is responsible for all the actions of his people. But these things he did not ask them to do, end quote. Ray Anderson. Went on the next day was kind of asked similar things and and similar um, you know both basically both of these administrative officials supported Herm Edwards and 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 said that you know he's has the program going in the right direction and he was not involved in this. The interesting thing is that about three hours after this interview, twenty four seven sports, uh, the ASU website released a pretty scathing article, basically saying that there is photographic evidence of herm edwards visiting a recruit in the asu weight room that asu rented a house in paradise valley to host recruits during the summer of 2020 when you weren't allowed to and basically saying that michael crow knows that this stuff exists because it was in the dossier that the ncaa received and asu has that so another rough week for asu it's blown over a little bit but you know, Lucas, I'll let you go first and then I'll, I'll kind of bring it home. But what are your kind of thoughts about where ASU is and her Edwards, and what's, what's all come out here recently? Uh, <laughs> I just think it's, I just think it's a bit
1: laughable. Um, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast, obviously between the two of us, just our personal conversations have just talked a lot a bit. It just, it just shocks my mind. Cause it's, it wasn't just a dead period they were recruiting for. It was during arguably the worst pandemic that we've had that we've seen, obviously, in our lives. Yeah. And say what you want about over the extent of the pandemic and how it affects young adults. You were so openly recruiting, like you said, her they said her meblood just wasn't at fault yet he is seen in the in the weight room. He is seen at the facilities. Hosting these recruits. And the thing is, is whenever recruiting violations happen, even if the head coach is not necessarily himself involved, it's still his program. And usually the head coach has to take the fall for that. And that's, to me, is just the most alarming. And then you have Ray Anderson, Basically backtalking all of his expectations of the ASU program that he put forth before he hired Herm Edwards when they fired Todd Graham, where he said, we're expecting this to be a, a top 10 to top 15 program every year. We should be having top 10 recruiting classes every single season and anything be uh, you know that isn't that is not satisfactory. And then he goes out and saying, we can't compete with nal deals against the big programs we can't get into bidding wars you have the biggest enrollment wise the biggest university in the country and you can't find alums that can't back that up like that to me this is an ad that is basically trying to undersell his programs to save his own job yeah and that to me is Infuriating if I'm a fan, look, and I know I'm not a huge ASU fan. I obviously root for them because I did go there. You, like you said, I am a, a quarter of an alum, as I am like a quarter Belgium. Uh, but uh, it's just that it's just infuriating to me that uh, basically an AD is just saying, like, yeah, we're after saying we should be competing for Pac 12 which would get me fired up and now is saying, no, we can't do this. We can't compete. And it's basically like it's so infuriating because the reason why you're in this trouble to begin with is because you were overcompensating to try to reach that next level. And now it ended up backfiring at you and now you're withdrawing. So to me, just as an outside fan, I was infuriated when I saw those quotes from Ray Anderson. I just think it's it's a problem. Yeah, you got rid of all these guys, but now you have a, what, a 63-year-old head coach with no direction. Your best player on your roster just transferred out after saying he was going to stick with the program. You have nobody to replace him. And to me, it's just like you're just covering until you can hire a new head coach. And it's, I, I'm i seeing your face right now, Ryan. I just cannot imagine how inferior to the ASU fan base has to be? Cause it just feels like this is a wasted year. Like, what are you even doing this year besides just trying to get through it for the most part?
0: Yeah. So I have some thoughts. I'm trying to figure out the best way. First of all, kind of going back to, to set this, to set the stage for this Ray Anderson and Michael Crow rarely do interviews. They don't do a lot of press conferences. Michael mm-hmm. Crow doesn't do a lot of this stuff, but The local radio station they were on has what's called Newsmakers Week. They get all of the decision makers, coaches, GMs from around Arizona to come on. And it's a contractual thing. They had to go on. I give them credit for not backing out. Herm Edwards went on. Ray Anderson went on. They all did it. So kudos to them. They all know what is going to happen. They all know that what is inevitably going to come from this, which is at the end of the 2022 football season, Herm Edwards either resigning, retiring, or getting fired. The problem was they don't know what to say in the meantime. They don't know how to justify this. Michael Crow. Michael Crow says these are not the things he was a part of. And then in the same quote says, but Coach Edwards is responsible for all the actions of his people. You cannot say that. He literally 15 Contra- seconds he contradicts himself. You're yes. either responsible for all of your people or you had nothing to do with this. You can't be both, right? So, I think, from what I've read, from what I understand, ASU is going to start self-imposing some sanctions here over the coming months. Scholarship productions, limiting off-campus recruiting for coaches, limiting official visits in the fall, maybe a bowl ban, Um, and they are going to let Herm fall on the sword for this. They're going to let Herm um, coach this season, knowing that they're probably going to win three to four games. You know, maybe they get to six wins. I was looking at their schedule. Like, they have to play Oklahoma State in the non-conference. Like, USC is going to be much better this year. Utah is supposed to be really good. Like, real good chance they don't make a bowl game. I think they're going to try to get as much in front of the sanctions as they can. Let Herm go after this upcoming season and then try to start new in 2023. But, But Lucas, to your point, like, this season's gone. If you had fired Herm Edwards, now, again, who who knows what kind of coach you get, if you can get anybody. At this point now, you can't fire Herm Edwards in March. There's no interim guy. Like, is Marvin Lewis going to be the interim coach? Like, Ryan Billick going to be the interim <laughs> coach like it's 2001 in the AFC North? Antonio Pierce is gone. Your OC is gone, Zach Hill. They hired UNLV's offensive coordinator to replace Zach Hill. When I think of explosive offenses, I don't think of UNLV was going two and ten the last ten years um so listen it's 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 just a disaster and and this was this were some of the first public comments from michael crow and ray anderson where they were asked directly about this and they didn't have their their ducks in a row they they didn't have everything tightened up they did not know what to say and if ray comes out and says listen you know herm's gonna we're gonna let Herm coach out the year we're not gonna bring like you also can't do that. So they're in a tough spot here because they didn't want to fire him after this season. And now they're, they're kind of paying for it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just a tough spot because yes, what Herm has brought to the program, like basically what is it? Seven and six, two, eight and five seasons. And then you had the COVID shortened year, basically. But well, like we said, this was the type of season that I just keep going back to when Todd Graham got fired. He went seven and six yep. in his final year. And now all of a sudden the expectations for ASU, this, what Ray Anderson laid out, now he's backtracking is just like, this is what it is. But I completely agree. I don't think you're good. You're not going to find a good head coaching candidate, especially... You know, no offense to ASU, but it's more less to the Pac-12. You know, when we look back to like Michigan State when they hired Mel Tucker, which was around the same time. You know, the Big Ten, the SEC, they can throw around kind of that crazy money to lure you know a Power Five or a really good head coach. And I just don't think you have that type of leverage in the Pac-12, and I just think it's a no-win. It just stinks if you're an ASU fan because it is a no-win situation right now because. Herman Edwards is probably gone no matter how well they do. And even if you do well, there is no off season to really or postseason to really celebrate. Because they're probably gonna have a postseason ban of some sort. So and like you said and like we mentioned earlier, like Jane Daly is gone. So you have a new starting quarterback. A lot of uncertainty. You have not a great recruiting class coming in, as we have mentioned on previous podcasts. And it just, it just, it annoys it's- the heck out of me because I know how good this program could potentially be. And it sucks that it's getting wasted by, I don't I just feel people that are very incompetent at what they're doing at their job.
0: And like you said, Lucas, you know, when Herm was hired, Ray said the expectations, like we want to be a consistent mm-hmm. top 15, top 20 program. We want to be in the contention for the division every year. We want to be in contention. Basically they want to be what Utah is, right? Where you're, you're going to win eight or nine games every year. and the stars align, you're, you're going to compete for a division championship and compete for a conference championship. Yep. Like theoretically the season that Utah had this year, ASU should have had. Like mm-hmm. they went nine and three in the regular season. They won the PAC 12 and they lost in the Rose Bowl. That would have been an incredible year for Arizona State. Clearly, it didn't go that way. So, Ray, like, how do you justify keeping Herm? Even, like, if there were no sanctions, it would have been hard to justify keeping Herm, right? He has not elevated the program. In two of Todd Graham's first three years, they won 10 games. Mm -hmm. They won the Pac-12 South, I believe, in Graham's second or third year and went to the Pac-12 championship game. Now, they got slaughtered by Christian McCaffrey and Stanford. like. You cannot deny that Todd Graham has had a a lot more success in his five or six years than her members has had in his. And I get that COVID slowed a lot of stuff down for a lot of programs. Um, But 2021 was supposed to be the year for ASU. And yeah, they went eight and four in the regular season. I think they won one game against a team with a winning record. Like they beat teams like Southern Utah, UNLV, Colorado, Arizona, Stanford. Like they racked up wins against inferior opponents. When push came to shove, they lost to Utah, right? They lost to Oregon State. Mm-hmm. They had a really good win against UCLA. That's their best win of the season for sure, but nothing else. So, and again, this year, like, it's going to be bad. Even w- with Jane and Daniels back, you were looking at maybe a six or seven win team, which is what ASU yeah. kind of historically has been. And with Jane Daniels gone, I mean, it's going to be tough. I think U of A is going to be a lot better this year. Utah's bringing a lot of talent back. USC got Caleb Williams, like, you know, the, you got to play. Oh, I think you're in Stillwater in September. They're coming off a ten win season in a, a New Year Six Bowl, so it's it's a really dark time. I mean, I've I've been following ASU for the better part of the last fifteen twenty years. You know, growing up here in the Valley, I cannot remember a time when it's been this bad. I cannot remember a time wow. where there was this because usually ASU was a consistent like six seven win team, a couple Sun Bowls, Holiday Bowl. Dennis Erickson won ten games. Graham won ten games a couple years like they're not even sniffing that right now. They're just not, they got smoked by Wisconsin in the bowl game there. They finished eight and five. I mean, that's what this program is. Seven and five, eight and five. So the big question I have before we kind of move on is, is what's Ray Anderson's future. You know, Ray has been a really good fundraiser. They got the new stadium project done. They're building a new multipurpose athletic facility for hockey and volleyball and wrestling. Um, So they've been able to make some good um, fundraising goals and build new facilities and, enhance the student-athlete experience like they're always talking about. But he'll be hiring his, his second football coach. He's hired a second baseball coach. Basketball is not going to the tournament this year. And, and there are some legit question marks about if, if, if Ray is, is going to be the, the coach to make the hire. I don't think you can. I don't think you can let Ray Anderson, with how bad this went, I do not think you can let Ray Anderson make this hire personally. And we'll see what happens.
1: I I agree completely. I just, to me, what screwed him, and this is why I don't think ADs or even head coaches should really make expectations when they come into a job or when they're going to be making a new hire, because you set your your own self for failure if you do not meet these. And the fact that he went and said the things that we were saying about being a top five 10 to top 15 program being getting five and four star recruits in every single class that's not happening but to me you set those expectations for yourself and because you're not hitting them i think that's going to cost you your job and you're not even running a clean program which we've talked about on this podcast with president michael crow he wants you know, the sports program to be profitable, but he wants it to be run in the right way. And that wasn't even going on with your most profitable sport. Because when it comes down to it, if football is not succeeding when you are an FBS program, the rest of what your department does is almost meaningless. Yes, it does help if you have a good basketball program, if you have good other varsity sports, but if football is not succeeding, that is the true moneymaker that makes the rest of those programs go so I do think if if this year is a colossal flop, which it feels like it is leading up to be, I'm interested to see what the over under and wins are for ASU going into this year. I I just don't th- I just don't see especially when Ray Anderson uh hired Herm Edwards, who was his former, I believe, his former client when he was a sports agent. This was Correct. his true main hire for football, Todd Graham. I Did he he inherit Todd Graham when he was hired? So this was your huge main goal, and it was a huge flop. And it's become an embarrassment to that university as well. I just don't think – if you're going to fire Herm Edwards at the end of this season, I just don't see how you can keep Ray Anderson. But who knows? But that is is just strictly my opinion.
0: Yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, We've got six months until ASU takes the field. Um in in September, I'm guessing Herm Edwards will be the coach. They've made it through kind of the last couple months of of firings and resignings and interviews, and and they'll start spring practice in a couple weeks, and we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, the class will be pretty bad again, and whoever takes over after the after this this next year, it's gonna be it's gonna be a brutal brutal job for whoever inherits this, this football program.
1: It just stinks, because I think Arizona State's a really good job if you can get it, you can get the right people in place. I just think it's a really good job, and I think it's gonna be tainted for a few years because of what happened with what looked like after the first couple of years looked like a good hire and now it's just turned completely south
0: yeah I mean again, before I move on, like after the first couple of years it was it was it was pretty well well i mean well received people were right in there. We're sorry, Herm Edwards. You know stories mm-hmm. because they were they were recruiting well and they were they were I think they won a bowl game their first year and they were winning six or seven games and making it to bowl games and, and um, wheels really fell off um, before the 2020 season. So yeah. we'll see what happens there. Uh, as we move on, uh, the big news in college sports earlier this week was that the college football playoff will be staying put at four teams at least through 2025, which is when the current deal expires. Uh, nobody, obviously, this is not a video podcast, but Lucas just put his hand over his face and is, is in a slouching position. So we, we will get his thoughts uh, here soon. Um, but listen, there's just a lot of red tape that this has to go through. There's a lot of moving parts. There's different conferences and different people have different objectives and bowl games, and, and there's just people being tugged into eight different directions. I mean, it's it's just a brutal process. I can't imagine being in those rooms and and the SEC brings up something and then the ACC brings up something and then you have the Big Ten saying, well, we need to keep the Rose Bowl this. And it's just – it's crazy to me. And the reason why this is really frustrating is because over the summer, last summer, it was kind of announced that they were – there was a proposal for a 12-team playoff that was on the table and it was looking – good. And I think a lot of fans were pretty, pretty pleased with it. And we kind of expected more news over the last couple months and more news and more news and nothing. And then um, everyone kind of got together and basically decided like, we're just going to kind of shelve this until, you know, 2024, or 2025, when, when we effectively start over with the new TV contract and, and, and new everything. So um lucas i'll kind of give you the floor i'll i'll uh, mute my mic I'm, I'm gonna go with the. i'll, I'll go to the bathroom uh, <laughs> and, uh, we'll just kind of let you get up on the soapbox here so go ahead
1: it just like you mentioned like this seemed like a foregone conclusion last summer when we first heard that this proposal had come out i believe it was uh the commissioner in the mountain west craig Uh, Craig Thompson, it was Jack Swarbrick with Notre Dame. Uh, You had, uh, yes, he's commissioner as well voting on this as well. And I love the initial proposal. I will put a bold prediction that, and I don't know if it's that bold, but honestly, I think this thing passes if Oklahoma and Texas don't bolt for the SEC. Because that news came out about three weeks after the proposed playoff new playoff format came out and i think i mean we even saw it when the vote came down they needed 11 votes unanimously to approve uh, a new expanded playoff and it didn't pass it was 8-3 in the three conferences that decided not to vote for it where the big 10 the acc and the pac-12 part of the uh, alliance alliance baby which the Alliance, which came alive after the SEC had uh, announced that Oklahoma and Texas were going to be joining their conference. So, like you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a big power play. Um, but the frustrating thing is I think the three conferences that voted against it were the ones who were going to gain the most with an expanded playoff. Especially the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 has not been in it. In the last, what is it, four or five seasons? Have not even come really close.
0: I think Washington with Jake Brown and Miles Gaskin, I think is that in 2017?
1: 2017. I think so. And, you know, the ACC, if they hadn't had, I mean, Clemson's really the only team. I think Florida State got it the first year, and then it's basically been Clemson. Um, the ACC it sounds like is only doing it just as a power play to try to get Notre Dame to join them as a permanent football member. And the big 10 is just hung up on these automatic bids, which I guess I get, but it's also the original proposal said the six highest conference champs, which probably nine out of 10 years is going to be the top, the power five conference champs. And then one group of five, um, so to me, it's just incredibly frustrating because I do think they are hurting the game. We saw the national championship numbers this past year. They were the lowest, I believe, they've ever been for uh, in this new format. The semifinals were also uh, low this year as well. in a non- I think they were the lowest non-COVID year. I just... It just really, really aches me because it seems like I know some people are like you got to keep four it makes the regular season regular season better. It keeps the regular season better for a handful of programs. It doesn't for the whole the whole scope of the sport. And the thing that frustrates me is look, college football, I think the thing we love about it, there's more stuff to play for than just a national championship. However, since the dawn of the playoff That is the singular goal every single year. And a lot of people turn off games if they have no impact on the national championship following. So, and I think you're seeing it, you know, if you're a college basketball fan right now is like the best time of the year to watch college basketball. Even though the tournament hasn't started, you're, you're watching all the bubble teams. You're watching the impact these games have on conference championships. I just, I just see, you know, when you go into the last few weeks of November, there's maybe only a handful of games each week that actually matter. Where you go to a 12-team playoff, if that's going to be how we're going to look at how a season is successful, we should be opening it more because I just crave the day when we have 10 to 15 games each week in November that actually matter for something. And, you know, winning the ACC is a big deal because you'll get to play for a national title game. Pitt won the ACC for the first time ever since it joined the conference. And their reward was to play in the freaking, I think, the Cotton Bowl where none of their best players play. Yep. And to me, we're not making the sport better off by that. We're going to have more games that are like that because none of the players think those bowl games are any meaningful. And instead, we're just going to wait another four years, in my opinion, to come up with the same suggestion that we could have done two to three years earlier. And that's what's the most upsetting. And I think it's, it's a majority of factors. It's with those three conferences. But I also think ESPN is happy about this because they know they're going to have the rights for this for the next four years. And they're going to have The biggest bargaining power when this comes up for a redeal the sec is the biggest winner because they're already proving that this format works for them and even if they go to a 12 team they know they're probably going to have four to five teams in every single year um so to me it's just it's incredibly frustrating because i think the sport could grow i think it could benefits so much for having an expanded playoff the regular season is still going to be phenomenal instead we get the same format that even me and you said uh as big a college football fans we weren't even that excited for the national title game or for these playoff games
0: yeah i um i have kind of a weird hot take that like i don't think college football accurately determines a national champion like i just don't i think college football rewards teams that are preseason ranked high and if those teams don't lose, um, they're going to play for a national championship in air quotes. Like, let's look at Georgia, right? Georgia didn't have one of a top twenty team. They won a very weak division. They lost their conference championship game, but because they were preseason ranked high and they beat a Clemson team that was preseason ranked highly, they went to and won a national championship. Now, I'm, I'm not saying Georgia wasn't the best team or didn't deserve it, but like Georgia played, like they played two other Power Five, I guess. Georgia played what three power five teams outside of the SEC on its mm-hmm. path to a national championship. They they played Michigan in the semifinal. They played Georgia Tech, so two and a half power five teams. <laughs> they played Clemson, who had its worst year in five, six years. Yeah. But because they were preseason ranked high, they made the college football playoff over a Notre Dame, over a Baylor, who won its conference, over a Pitt, whatever. Um I hate preseason polls. I think they unfairly put teams in different tiers mm-hmm. and it's really hard if you're I mean, listen, Michigan is an example. They did go from unranked to in the playoff. Um but it's just really hard to start at the back. You you are climbing uphill. And yes. any like if Georgia loses one game, it's different than if Wake Forest loses one game or if Utah or Oregon lose one mm-hmm. game because they're they seem that they're better. And we don't really know. I'm sorry, Georgia didn't win its conference. They beat Michigan and Alabama. Okay, fine. They won a national championship. That's fine. You know, yeah. and like to your point about making these games more intriguing. Like, how intriguing would it be? I mean, once Clemson lost its second game of the season, like it's it's over, right? Like, yeah. Once once Ohio. I mean, Ohio State kind of had a chance at the end, but like one loss doesn't have to kill you anymore. It and it would make think of the conference championship games. It'd be huge. That meant nothing this year. Pitt-Wake Forest meant nothing in the grand scheme of things. The Pac-12 championship game meant nothing. The Big 12 championship game meant nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what
0: I'm saying? Like, to me, that's BS, man. You know, I'm kind of surprised the SEC favored it, uh, voted in favor of it because they are just dominating. And with how many teams are preseason ranked high in the SEC, like, you would think they would be fine keeping it to four. Yeah. This is what Alabama's going to be in every year. Unless Alabama loses two games, they're going to be in every year. Whereas, like, if Oregon goes – if Oregon loses a game, they're going to be ranked lower than Alabama because Alabama is ranked – like, it's just stuff like that that I just don't like about our sport.
1: Well, and that's the annoying thing. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, even said, we don't have to change anything. He's like, we're the ones that are sacrificing here because he said it's for the betterment of the sport. And I agree with him. That we expand this thing. He's like, it's not healthy for our sport that basically nobody west of the Mississippi has won a national title since Texas. Like, it's... And nobody, I don't think, has appeared in the national championship game west of Mississippi since Oregon made it in 2014. Like, this needs to be a national sport. Much like the NFL, like, everybody... For the NFL is tuning in uh, to the playoffs and to the Super Bowl, and it just it just boggles my mind um, why the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. I get why they they voted no, but it's still like they have the most to gain by an expanded playoff, and I agree with you completely. I think it's a dumb way to to have a national champion, you're playing 12 games a year where you're not really playing people from all across the country. And then you're just deciding that these final four teams are the best that you have, where, you know, if you make it through a tough regular season and then you make it through three or four playoff games, like I think that's more deserving of winning a national title than what we currently have. And everyone can argue that, yeah, college football is different in that regard. It's like, yeah, I get that. But right now, because of the playoff, everybody, that's that's the main talking point now. Nobody cares what your program does if you're not in the playoff conversation. And I think it, it limits programs. Like, Wake Forest, how much do you think a program like Wake Forest would gain by making it to the playoff?
0: Yeah, or like Utah.
1: A ton. Yeah. Instead, they have to be almost damn near perfect, they which do. is almost impossible for anybody outside maybe five to ten programs in the country every year. And not even you know,
0: Alabama was perfect. They weren't no, they should they have lost, lost to Auburn. Like they yeah. lost they they like should have lost to Auburn in the last game, of the, you know it's like Imagine the NFL playoffs that they had four teams. Imagine the semifinals of it would have been Green Bay and um, Tampa Bay, which Lucas probably
1: maybe, I, I would have loved. Okay that. That. But, okay that. but <laughs> and
0: then you would have Kansas City and Tennessee in the AFC. Like you wouldn't have had Tampa Bay win the Super Bowl last year. You wouldn't have had the Rams. You know, like you yeah. just you you are. I don't. You are keeping it in such an elite group that you have to be high in the preseason and not only that like you have like look at Cincinnati, Cincinnati only had be- got in because they, they were basically perfect last year.
1: Yeah. They had to be perfect last year, barely lose to uh the best team they played the year before in Georgia, have everybody come back, make sure they had two power 5 teams on their schedule, one of which ended up being number 5 to end the year, make sure they beat them and they got the number four seed. If if Oklahoma State gains a yard, Cincinnati's probably not yep. even in the playoff. And that to me just irks me. Like, why the hell are these non-power five teams then even playing in the same division if they have no shot to win a national title? At least in college basketball, they get a shot. They might not advance far, but at least they get a shot to one to team the is team in the country, yeah. Gonzaga,
0: the West Coast Conference. Conference, yes. And guess what? Gonzaga is only at the point it is now because it's been a great program for twenty years. Yes, and it's so hard to get that if you're not in the Power Five. It's exactly, ridiculously hard.
1: And and I'd be so frustrated if I'm a if I'm a Boise State who's basically been the powerhouse non power five program for the better part of like 15 years and basically your ceiling right now is even if we go undefeated we get to play in a power five bowl against or a new year six bowl against a power five team and there's no other ceiling above that like that just has to be like let the guys play let them i don't know let them do it on the field It just it's exhausting because it would make the sport so much more enjoyable and i just i just can't hear the counter arguments in my opinion for those that are like well there's not even that we see the semifinals every year they're blahs every year and it's like yeah but that doesn't mean we can't like more teams should not have a shot if they have a great season that's just that's just me cuz the bowl games are largely irrelevant unless you gamble a lot then you love to to watch them well but the bowl
0: games have become irrelevant and the yeah. players, make players don't irrelevant. even care nobody cares and they have to do an issue with that they, they have to figure it out like i've seen a bunch of different proposals anywhere from giving players cash payouts to the winning team to playing the bowl games as like week one in september and august and basically that'd like, be awesome like, basically, like, you start your season playing in a bowl game based off of last year's, like, results. results. So, like, the Holiday Bowl would pick, you know, Wisconsin to play UCLA week one in San Diego. You know what I'm saying? So like, that to me, that would be cool. Would never happen. But no. that would be cool. The other thing that's really frustrating is, like, we already have an example of this. FCS football, Division two football, like, NAI three. football. Like, Division three, Like, all of them have a playoff system. FCS is probably the best, like conference champion, automatic bid, 2014, top eight get buys. But in order to do that, you have to take out a conference game or you have to take out a game in the regular season because this is what the ACC commissioner, I think Jim Phillips said, was Mm -hmm. the feedback he gets from his student athletes is it's too many games. If you have a 12-team playoff, you're adding maybe three extra games on top of 12 games and a conference championship game for some teams. It's a lot. And I get that. And going back to eleven games, which was where it was at for a while, is the solution. But all these contracts are airtight with the dates. I mean, you have game I mean, you have like the SEC schedules available till like twenty thirty five. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. so that presents obstacles too, but like that's the easiest thing, right? Sixteen team playoff, twelve team playoff, make it eleven games, cut out cut out the BS game against Coppin State that Alabama plays every year before Thanksgiving. Sorry, we, we 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 don't need that. Like, the Chiefs don't get to play the Texans before Week 17 or Week 18. <laughs> <laughs> <I think. laughs> but it just means more in the SEC because we get well, a bye week before our biggest game. Hey,
1: cool. I will gladly give up Wisconsin's home opener this year against Illinois State if it means uh, we yeah. get a 12-team playoff. I just yeah. – in this – probably correlates into our next discussion which is like declining attendance like yeah. you need to have better i just don't get why fbs has not completely split off with fcs in scheduling games i mean this is a we're getting into a, our next topic a little bit yeah. but Go ahead. i'm just saying like if you want higher attendance you want higher interest in your games make your freaking games a lot a hell of a lot more interesting i looked at the week one schedule this this year and compared to years previous it sucks really like you have teams that are just playing like nobody or games that have no uh have no real intrigue at all they're just playing games to get an extra win for certain conferences and i get coaches want that but i'm just like for me just for the the likelihood of the sport we should be having more intriguing like power five versus power five or you should be we should have fcs games just completely gone but i get it it's been a long tradition
0: and schedule a scrimmage the last weekend's fall camp against somebody yeah that's or do it it. in
1: spring do it in spring yes
0: like asu plays texas tech in the spring for the that's the preseason game you know wisconsin plays notre dame or like whatever, I don't know, like figure it out. But like, or do in conference, like that can be your that can be your preseason game, or have joint practices, you know. Like so, touching on the this is an article from Dennis Dodd from CBSSports.com. I'll I'll just read it here verbatim. FBS attendance last season hit its lowest point in those same four decade years, according to annual figures compiled by the NCAA. The average for the Division One 130 teams slipped to just under 40,000 fans per game. That's the fewest since 1981. Nationally, the average attendance in 2021 was down 15%, more than 7,000 per game from a record mark of 46,971 in 2008. This article comes out every year. I mean, it's a scheduled tweet for these writers in February or March. Yeah. Of college ball attendance is down. And there's a multitude of reasons. Bad games is one of them. I mean... I don't believe ASU plays a non-conference Power Five opponent at home this year. Um, The issue is, like, I have railed on college football's unwatchability for a while, right? There's too many reviews. The games take too long. Half the time, like, the game, if you're playing at, like, 1230 or if you're in, like, an afternoon slot, the first quarter of your game is on, like, ESPN News or, like, Fox Sports 2 because the game before it ran long. But think of that experience in the stadium where you have crappy Wi Fi mm-hmm. where it's either really hot or really cold, right? And the TV timeouts are three, three and a half minutes. You have no idea what reviews are going on because they, they 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 can't show it or whatever. Um, the half times are longer than the NFL. Half times twenty minutes compared to fifteen for the NFL. Objectively, I went to one ASU game last year, went to ASU Stanford, and I just I wanna go to games, but I don't like between that and the cost and the fact that it's a whole day, right? I have to like, yeah. I drive the light rail, I drive to park. I got to pay 20 bucks to park. I pay 80 bucks for the ticket, like whatever it is. It's just a lot better to watch a game at home on the mm-hmm. big screen. Like one of my favorite things is just putting on putting on game day and at 9 a.m. Pacific time, the first game starts and at 1030, like packed up after dark ends. And there's just few things better than just sitting at home all day, cooking, doing chores, whatever, and watching college football. and the sport has become really good on TV, and it's decentivized fans to go to games, and that's a major issue for schools.
1: Yeah, I agree completely, and you know, and the thing that's sad is with like college football. The the thing it has over the NFL is the atmosphere at games. Is generally, if you go to a, a college atmosphere versus an NFL, it it trumps it about tenfold. And the sad thing is, I mean, I was even watching as a Wisconsin fan. You know, we usually regularly almost sell out Camp Randall, which is about 80,000 every week. And I was, I'm a season ticket holder. I could not give away my tickets against Nebraska, Northwestern, like teams we've been playing for a while because people just did not want to go. They weren't hugely important games. The weather wasn't great. And like you mentioned, it's a hell of a lot better just to watch the game at home. I can Even when I'm watching my team, during the commercial breaks, I can switch it to another game. I can watch something else. It is ridiculous when you're sitting in the stands and you have a three-and-a-half-minute commercial break. It kills the atmosphere, which is what makes college football great to begin with. And it just makes it almost a bore when you're there. You're just sitting, and it doesn't help. At Wisconsin, they do not serve alcohol at the games, which I know has changed in a lot of. But that's still a situation at a lot of college it's football crazy stadiums. Uh, crazy, yeah, everyone
0: in that stadium is stone cold sober during the games. That's crazy. Cold. <laughs> crazy, uh, no one, you know. crazy, yeah. Nobody drink. Right. Does now ASU does, and I think Wisconsin. Uh. We, uh, our, our AD wants
1: it to happen. Um, it's more our, our president and chancellor who's leaving this year for Northwestern. He, she was the last decade has been vehemently opposed to having alcohol at sporting events. Um, so that might change. and might, I think it'll help, but anyways, I, I, it's just really, really, because like you mentioned, there's the cost park, there's the cost for the ticket. And then if you know you're spending three four hours, if you have to drive, you know if you're not from like the city where the place is actually, you know you're looking at an hour two hour commute back and forth. I mean it's a headache when you could just be like, or I could just watch it from home. I can get a beer from my fridge. My kids are right here. It's free for me to sit on my ass here and just watch this game. Um, I don't blame people that. That lose the attraction of going to games in person until, like, like you said, the Wi-Fi kind of sucks. So if you want to check other scores for games, you can't. Especially if you're a fan of just the sport in general. And until they they match what the um, what the experience is like at home, until uh, at going to the stadium, I just don't. I think you're going to see this trend continue. But it is a drastic trend because I think you're seeing it in college sports much more drastically than you do in other sports just because the capacity for stadiums in college football is the biggest out of any sport here in the United States.
0: Right. And listen, some teams have zero problems drawing, right? Most of the yeah. SEC, most of the Big Ten, like, they're not having these issues. But the Pac-12, man, I mean, ASU's half empty every game. Stanford is majority. Oh, Stanford, off. And, you know, one of the things that we also didn't touch on was the TV networks dictate when these games start, so you have yeah. games starting at eight eight thirty PM at in Arizona or eleven AM in Wisconsin. Like that sucks, and I know that you can't. No one we can't have you know eighty games on at three thirty Eastern. Like we, that's the time we all. We wish all, we
1: could, yeah.
0: We wish we could. We wish every team could play between three thirty and seven PM Eastern. It can't happen, but I mean, they had a game at ten AM in the Pac two years ago. Now that was during COVID, but like it was a nine AM local kick. You know, ASU doesn't play a day game all year. Now, granted, it's too hot until November, basically, but, like, still. Um, I mean, and you put games on Thursdays. Like, didn't you say Wisconsin's game got moved from Saturday to Friday? Home
1: Probably for, for the home opener. But they've played – I mean, they've played Friday nights for the same – but it is, a, it is a big deal, especially if you have
0: uh, – yeah, you know, if you have family that are playing Friday, like high yeah, school football, like, or if you're, you know, you're at work until five, yeah. trying to get to, to the, you have to drive, and or games on it, like ASU always starts off with their FCS opponent on a Thursday, and I get it, it gives you an extra couple of days to, to get ready for your next opponent, whatever. That's tough to make people come and sit in 105 degrees at night at 7:30 against Sacramento State or Southern Utah or whatever it is. Like that's really really tough to get people to do that right or when you schedule these games on friday nights like i know we have a mandatory illinois rule i saw that the you know illinois indiana got moved to friday um so like and i get it's better for tv and the programs get exposure but like it's not like imagine you're an illinois fan and you which obviously we both are and you you book your ticket to go watch them on a Saturday. It's like, well, shoot now I gotta take a day off work on Friday or I gotta I take off Thursday like, changing it's it's just they so many of the decisions that college athletics have been have been making over the last decade has had zero thought of how does this impact the fan in this dance
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's all about how does this get us the most money on t v so we can keep building um facilities and we can keep putting nil funds together and we can still pay our coaches and like raise at administration prices like all this stuff and the fan experience has been neglected and that's a huge issue because people our age like they're just less likely to go like our friend group does and you couple things with like what's happening at asu which we talked about earlier like we have a friend in our group chat you know danny who has been a season ticket holder for like a decade, him and his family, and they're not going to renew this year because why would they pay all that money for a crappy product and all of the reasons that we just said?
1: And because like, and for me too, like, you know, I'm I'm still Wisconsin season ticket holder, but this year I'm still going to buy them, but it is with hesitation because for the first time in a long time, Wisconsin's home schedule isn't great. And I'm probably only going to be able to make it to one game out of seven and i don't think i'm i'm not gonna make i'm not gonna break even on selling these uh on selling these tickets if i sell them for face value i'm probably selling over what the average is going to be because people just the the demand just is not there and so, like you so mentioned it too the, Like, um, you
0: know, i'm just gonna say here's the wisconsin home slate it's in bad. 2022 illinois state Washington State, New Mexico State, Illinois, Purdue, Maryland, Minnesota. They are at at Ohio State, at Iowa, at Nebraska, at Michigan State. Brutal. Arizona State's home schedule, Northern Arizona, Eastern Michigan, Utah, Washington, UCLA, Oregon State. Like, the best game is Utah and and UCLA, I guess. Yeah. You know? But again, like there's only two games on that, that really gets you excited. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we take off Eastern Michigan and we put on, you know, Oklahoma, or we, you know, put on Cincinnati. We put like it would help if we didn't schedule these games 12 years in advance, which is the middle. <laughs> <five years. laughs>
1: hey, if we were going by the alliance, how awesome would it be if you played like NC State and like Purdue? Like yeah. it would be tremendously bad.
0: At this point they should leave a schedule open, like an open date for Alliance games and you just fill it in during the season. Yeah. Or like the summer before. Like this time of year right now should be scheduling. Like this is the time of year when schools should be like, We've agreed to a home and home, you know, Wisconsin will take on Arkansas or, you know, uh Miami will take on UCLA. Like that's when this stuff should be coming out. Not, oh my God, LSU and UCLA are gonna play in twenty thirty six and twenty thirty seven. Like you have no idea who's going to be good. You have no idea what the schools are going to look like. You have no idea what college football is going to look like. Why are we doing this still? We're the only sport that does that. College yeah. basketball doesn't. College baseball doesn't. No other college sport schedules. And why? Who is who is booking their ticket now to 20? Let's look up Wisconsin's future football opponents here. Hang on. Hey,
1: 2024 is a big deal. 2024 will be a big deal. Um, And 2025, I should say
0: get your uh get your get your popcorn ready. So, uh Wisconsin 2025, they're at Alabama, 2024 host Alabama. How about this, Lucas, get your tickets uh hosting Virginia Tech in 2032, hosting UCLA in 2030, or if you want to see your team on the road, you can go at Utah in 2033. I don't know if they're selling flights to Salt Lake City yet for that. <laughs> or, hey, we're uh,
1: Hey, we're hosting Pitt in twenty twenty six and twenty twenty seven. So.
0: Yeah, twenty twenty six is pretty good. You got Notre Dame and Green Bay, and then you got a uh, Pitt. That'll be an interesting start. At Virginia Tech, twenty thirty one at UCLA, twenty twenty nine. So
1: that uh, that Virginia Tech thing was supposed to happen in like twenty fifteen and <laughs> it was like it's been bumped back like three or four times.
0: <laughs> I think the I think ASU and uh, I think it was the same thing with ASU and Oklahoma State too. You know, but like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I don't think anything changes. I mean, they're not going to lower ticket prices there. I mean, ASU already reduced capacity. Yeah. Because they couldn't fill Sun Devil Stadium when it had 70,000 people. So, we'll see. Any uh, any final thoughts here, Mr. Rody, before we, uh, before we wrap up?
1: No, like I said, I just think the only solution is if you can get rid of FBS. But, I mean, we already heard, I mean, uh, Gene Smith, uh, the AD for Ohio State, Even They asked him about the Alliance and if that was going to still correlate in some scheduling uh, changes for the Big Ten. And he even said, because the Big Ten was talking about maybe dropping divisions, going only to eight conference games. And he basically said, no, honestly, the Alliance probably won't have anything to do with scheduling moving forward. We decided that nine conference games... Was still the way to go. It was more valuable for our networks and everything like that. So basically, the whole thing the alliance put out was uh, pretty much dog shit. So uh, probably not going to happen. It was for
0: nothing. It was for nothing. If you're not going to schedule or you're not like and and listen, maybe they schedule like gymnastics meets or they schedule track and field meets or they schedule like whatever. That's fine. But if you're not going to get competitive football matchups year like year to year. What's the point? Right to
1: me, it was it was just a voting block. It was them three saying we're going to be in line with what we're voting for, so that the SEC cannot does not have voting power th- over the rest of the power conferences. That to me is was the the big dream of it. The scheduling was just kind of basically just a a cover for what the true uh, true reason was bef-
0: behind the alliance. For the yeah. First- you know, it's funny, I thought this episode was gonna be like 30, 40 minutes, and we got like close to an hour. an hour. So it was very it was a it was a very like tumultuous pot. I mean it was <laughs> a issue between scheduling and 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 uh sanctions and non-expansion and very tumultuous pot. Hopefully when we when we when we uh...
1: what we could do for the next pot on a positive note is because by the time we record the next one, it's gonna be close to March Madness we oh. could go over what our dream scenarios would be for like what a selection sunday would look for look like in college football what we would dream our like ideal scenario for a playoff would be like yeah. we could do that to to have it on more of a positive note of what we actually dream about it to be
0: yeah i like that so We'll be back in another couple of weeks. We're trying to do one or two episodes a month here. Maybe we'll talk some spring football. I know a lot of schools will be mm-hmm. starting up in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, Mister Rodi, any final thoughts for me before we sign off?
1: Hey, uh, I was just gonna say, uh, going back to the ASU stuff, maybe Ray Anderson's best goal was to be the best recruiting team during the dead period. Oh, I don't know if they. I don't know if they hit that I'll, goal, but are they going to maybe- put it? A-
0: there COVID recruiting champions
1: (laughs) we didn't have a single recruit during the dead period that got COVID that's great
0: that's that's, not none
1: of them were dead I guess if we ah. want to be literal with the dead period but uh but no uh always fun to talk about this stuff uh and excited to see what type of uh type of things we come up here in the offseason
0: all right, college football is, I think it was like 190 days or 180-something days until, uh, until uh, you know, week zero. So it'll be here before we know it. For Lucas, I'm Ryan. Have a good night and safe. Class.